Hey everybody, welcome to the Row Hunting Resources Podcast. Well, my deer season is starting to wind down a little bit. Uh, I've got a few other hunts that are going to be coming up over these next several weeks, but the bulk of my activity is starting to slow down. So that means I've got a little bit more time to sit in front of the microphone, in front of the camera, and start building some videos and start talking about some topics that have been on my mind uh, these past several months. And honestly, uh, a lot of yours as well, because I've been I've talked to a number of you, or at least messaged and, and shared some thoughts back and forth on social media, or through text or emails or what whatnot. So it's time to get back in, into the fray. And so this first topic of today, well, the topic today, is going to be with Jay Scott at Jay Scott Outdoors, um, talking about the Arizona Game and Fish Commission possibly looking at uh, putting a ban on the use of game cameras in the aid of in, in the aid of taking of wildlife meaning if you're going to be a hunter you can't use a game camera well obviously that has created quite the discussion on the interwebs and so Jay and I are going to talk about this issue a little bit give you our thoughts and then uh, a couple things to think about so all right let's jump into it Thanks for listening along. They're seriously just in town knocking on people's doors hoping that someone has some contact. Is that what they're, they're doing? I've seen them at three different residences now, and now I'm, I'm watching them at my neighbors, and I can hear them talking about, oh, just, you know, we're here just checking, seeing, looking. <laughs> maybe, they have a, maybe they already have a place, and they're just coming by and, and looking for supplemental stuff. I don't know, but that's the thing is, um, geez, okay, this could be another, well, it will, it will, it will be another podcast. Cause I've, I've got way too many, uh, people talking about it, but you know, this is not the same country that it used to be 10, five years ago, 10 years ago, as far as ag and crop rotation and, and critters. And, and all, there's so many different changes out here now that, it may, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they, maybe they decided to show up they were just going to show up at their old buddy's house and, and realized, oh, wait. Uh, they didn't plant any crops this year. There's no corn. There's no soybeans. What they did is they planted cattle cane, and uh, they swathed it and bailed it, and now they got cattle on the on the cane stock. So yeah, there ain't gonna be a deer <laughs> out there. It's just, yeah. Oh man. Did that big deer you guys just shot was that on one of your places or on one of your other owners? Yeah, no, one of our, one of the properties that, uh, well, one of the landowners I work with, um, one of his properties that we've been toying around with developing more. We know that there's, I mean, for years we've known that there are really good deer that can move through this particular section of ground. And, but, you know, it was always a balance between saving stuff for family, just, just for family versus, turning it over to, you know, some of the other hunters that we run. And, and we've, we've always kind of balanced that. And this is one where in the past we've always said, well, we'll just keep this for the family members, you know, cause it's, it's not too far away from where they live. And, and it's just an easy, you know, once they get done, cause they, 
they uh, this particular family actually runs one of the banks in town, and and so they're constantly busy, and they're always involved with the community and doing you know whether it's Lions Club and Rotary and city councils, and I mean they're just absolutely involved, and so he just Bo just doesn't have a lot of time, and so you know they've got land scattered all over the place, and some of those properties will take them thirty minutes to drive to to get there. Well, you get done with work and and. You know, it's three thirty, going on four o'clock. Especially now, this time of year, you know, with rifle season, you you're scrambling to get out to the field somewhere where you can sit in time before the animals are actually out there in front of the the blind or whatever. So we we've held this property for the landowners, but we've really started thinking. We're like, you know, now that we've got all these other properties developed and all these other properties are doing so well as far as consistency of of good activity. There's good deer in numerous places for the landowners if if he wants to to go out there. So we we thought about, well, maybe do we put a tree stand up? Do we put a ground blind up there? So this year we decided, you know what? Let's just go let's let's go see what's going on here. We know we know that there's good deer. I mean, we've already got pictures of good deer on it. We, but let's just see what's going on here for rifle season. We know that we should have some good bucks coming back through. Well, yeah, sure enough, we get the camera out there, we get a blind set up, we see what's going on, what the movement is, and yeah, sure enough, there's a couple really nice bucks on there. Not not giants, but I mean, just legit mature deer. And so Bo's like, listen, I'm going to have, they just had a new baby this earlier this spring, and so, you know, holidays, family, COVID crap, you know, just it, logistically, he's not going to have that many days to hunt. And so we're, I was like, dude, this deer that we've got consistently in front of the camera is good enough. I'm like, let's just go. Let's, let's go after him. Let's, let's get on him. And so we, again, we know about the deer that he killed. We, we know about him and we know that he moves through, but we haven't seen him in a while, but we've got things set up to where if he comes back through, he should come back through and he should want to linger there. We've, we've built it to where we're stacking in does like crazy. So it's great sanctuary for rifle season and a great sanctuary for late season. So as soon as everybody else starts pushing, you know, creek bottoms and starts shooting rifles, this is a good sanctuary place where everybody falls back to and they're they're safe. And so we went out and set up on this deer, the the original deer, a couple times, and and the deer was there. He was just down in the in the timber sparring with another box. We didn't get a good shot. Next night he didn't show up. Next night couldn't go out hunt next night couldn't go out hunt meanwhile on the camera the, the now the buck's right out there broad daylight you know 100 yards in front of the ground blind it's like of course he is and so sunday night he would Bo was supposed to get in the blind but family obligations taking pictures holiday pictures and all sorts of other stuff and i, I know some of you you know when you say holiday pictures of the family your eyes roll because that's what Bo did he's like you goodness really we tonight is the night we need to do holiday pictures with the family we've had all year to take pictures with the family but now now it's rifle season and i've got a deer in front of the ground blind that i want to go shoot and and we need to do take pictures but so he missed getting in the blind that night and sure enough the the first buck that walked out of the timber was the original target buck. And so we're just kind of, he was just, I mean, he was just beside himself, just livid. He was like, you got to be kidding me. The night I wanted to climb in the blind, the night the deer actually steps out, I can't because I'm taking pictures. Well, sometimes, you know, Jay, that sometimes it's, it's, sometimes the Lord doesn't give us our first choice and what we, what we ask for, because there just might be something a little better coming down the line. And, 
So if he had been in that blind uh, when he was supposed to, he would have he would have shot that original buck. And probably as we're out there recovering it out of the field, the buck he did shoot would have probably stepped out and we both would have been like, you've got to be. So yeah, that buck shows up that same night, like 15 minutes after the original buck stepped out. And I see him on camera. I'm like, oh my. Because we run, I run a bunch of cell cams uh, because this area is kind of accessible. This has been one of the properties that has had trespassing and poaching issues in the past. And so that's why we run the cell cams on it. But the way the deer move through here, you'll pick them up as well. Um, and so sure enough, all of a sudden, this buck that he kills steps out. And in the dark, in, in, well, in, in, the, in the picture, he's in the distance. So all I can tell is he's wide, he's tall, and he's a big body deer. And I'm thinking, no way. No way. I, I mean, it, obviously, he's a shooter. So Bo and I talk about it. Sure enough, all night long, this deer is moving back and forth, checking does, just back and forth in front of the camera but he's off at a distance. So I can't ever get a really good look at him. All we know is he's a big, big stinking deer. And so Monday night rolls around and I'm, you know, Bo's like, all right, what do we do? The wind was not perfect, but, um, we're in a ground blind and you can zip that ground blind up tight. And this deer, if it, you know, we, we didn't know, but if it was the same buck, I mean, he has a tendency to show up, linger a few days and then vanish for like a month. So, you know, we went back and forth. Do we go in there, you know, Monday night with a marginal wind or do we just back out and just stay out and we come back, you know, like, well, Wednesday night was the the better wind option possibly. And we finally said, you know, I'm like, dude, we know the deer is here now. You're in a ground blind. The wind is not great, but it's not bad. And we had a sunny day and this, this whole thing is a south facing slope. So, Maybe the thermals are lifting your scent. I said, just get in the ground blind and see what happens. And legitimately, one of the first deer, he gets in there. He's not in there very long at all. And I'm literally one of the first deer that steps out of the timber is this guy. Same thing, following, checking does. I mean, we're we're way after the rut right now, but we've, you know, the, you got those, that secondary rut and you got bucks that will just go cruise through and just double check on all the does uh, in, in the area. And that's what he was doing. He came in and we've got, a, I mean, there's just a pile of does stacked in this piece and he's out there just checking, 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 checking and 100 yard chip shot. Bo made a great shot, flopped him over and, here we go. It was it was unreal. We we I get up there to and the, of course this is the first night that I can't go with him. Otherwise I would have had the camera. We would have filmed it, but I couldn't go with him uh, Monday night. So he he texts me. Well, I'm 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 waiting for him to text. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm hearing nothing. I'm hearing nothing. I'm hearing nothing. I'm like, what the heck? So I text him. I'm like, dude, you're killing me here. What's going on? He's like, I just he's on he he's down. I'm shaking. I'm like, I'm on my way. Oh, so yeah, it's one of those ones where you pull up to him and you walk up and, and you just, he just gets bigger and bigger the closer you get to him. And yeah, incredible deer. We're, we're going to go, we're going to throw a tape on him tonight, but I don't know. What, what are, what are your thoughts, man? I know we've been texting back and forth. What are, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, I don't know much about those deer, but to me, I don't know how he couldn't be in that, you know, upper 180s range. Um, you know, maybe even bigger. 
just from I didn't even add him up. I'm just kind of looking at him. Yeah. Um, he's just a giant deer. I mean, are those deer very uncommon there, or were they more common years ago? And and you know, you you see old pictures to like buck like that. Yeah, that's a great question, and you're absolutely right. So um, this year, uh, someone killed a 200-and-some-odd-inch uh, deer west of us a couple miles on one of his pieces of ground. So, um, And a few years back, there was another 200-inch deer killed uh, west of this piece of ground. There was a 200-inch deer a couple years ago killed uh, east of this property. And then down on... The genetics are there. Now, here's the issue. And this is going to be the, the uh, topic of a longer podcast because I've got so many people asking me about this. The, the issue is, is we've got a different agricultural regime to where we don't have as high quality food in, in some areas on the landscape as long as what we used to. And so we don't have the protein. Um, we don't have some of the weedy areas and, and the native vegetation that we used to have. We are losing some of our cover. Uh, people, you know, CRP, Conservation Reserve Program, uh, acres are, you know, the, the contracts are ending from, ten, you know, they had a 10-year contract, you know, 10 years ago, and now they're, they're no longer under contract, and the feds don't have as much money to put into that, you know, program. So there's not as much money in it, and so there's some landowners that are taking their CRP, which is great bedding cover and great native uh, cover, uh, for deer, pheasants, uh, turkey nesting, etc., they're taking that out. We've got a lot more hunting pressure now these days. But the big one for us is, and this is going to be the real crap wild card, is we've got uh, CWD in our area now, and it's sitting at about a thirty to forty percent prevalence rate. And we are going. I think what we're going to end up seeing over these next few years, we're just not going to have the volume of five-year-old, six-year-old, seven, eight-year-old deer that we used to have that lets these animals just really mature and, and you know, manifest their genetic potential. Um, you know, CWD really, I mean, if, if a fawn or a yearling picks it up, it's going to take them a couple years before the CWD, you know, kills them. And that's what everybody focuses on. But the problem is, is nobody's focused on the fact that there's the coyote population is through the roof. And CWD is a neurological, uh, it impacts the brain and the central nervous system to where, okay, it might kill that animal at age five, but it might start affecting the cognitive ability of that animal and its reaction time, its behavior at three, at four well you put a, a deer that's even at a it just not quite firing on all all cylinders those coyotes are going to identify that animal immediately and it's done they will they will yank that thing down the number of mature deer carcasses i find across our properties is pretty incredible they're, they're not just take you know everybody's like oh they take the sick and the weak and the young okay yeah they'll take the young yes They'll take the sick, yes, and the weak, yes, they will. But the number we have, that they'll take healthy deer as well. But sick and weak, well, guess what? If 30 to 40% of your population has the potential or, or, or has chronic wasting disease, you've got 30 to 40% of your population of 
middle-aged deer that are becoming sicker, becoming weaker, and they're just going to get yanked out. So, yeah, I mean, years ago, you'd see many more, maybe not this size of a deer, but many more large-antlered, mature bucks running around on the landscape than I think we are seeing these days. And it's not just me saying this. It's everybody. Like I said, this is why I'm going to talk more about it because everybody's just blowing up my phone and my text and messaging going, what is going on? We're not finding the deer. We're not seeing the deer. We're not finding... I mean, someone finds a 160-inch deer in this country. And I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big thing anymore. So yeah, this year when that guy killed that 200 and some odd inch buck, I mean, oh my word, people just, they were like, holy, how in the world did that thing even still be here? Likewise, this deer, it's like, you know, numerous people had this, the deer we killed, Bo killed, um, numerous people had him on camera. He loved to live in and out of, uh, suburban environment. So his home range, covered just uh, probably a dozen different landowners and so he's he's just he was all over the place and everybody saw him but he was just a ghost he was just unpredictable but very few people thought he was going to live as to to as old as he did and and the fact that he didn't get die of cwd or die of coyotes or die on the road or whatever but so yeah, it's kind of a it's it's kind of a nice deal. I mean, I'm it, and it it couldn't have happened to a better guy. I mean, the landowner that I work with, he again, he doesn't have a lot of time to hunt, and he's killed a couple of decent deer over the years. Nothing like this, and so it's just nice to see the hard work and the all, all the stuff pay off. You know, even though we didn't grow this deer on our property and keep him completely within our confines, this deer was a significant component to the people, the particular property that that we were watching and just the fact that it, it all came together the other night with him in the stand, not someone else. He didn't get poached. He didn't get hit on the road. It just, it's just nice. It's just, it's just nice. <laughs> yeah, he's a beautiful deer for sure. Oh yeah. But so, Hey, before we dive into the topic, how are you guys been doing out there? You guys staying healthy? Everything going okay? Yeah. Mexico coming 
coming from the south to the north. Um, eastern Arizona is supposed to get uh, considerably more moisture than kind of the western part, but they're saying, you know, maybe a quarter to a half inch here in Phoenix uh, starting uh, Thursday and Friday, so tomorrow and Friday. Nice. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, we haven't had measurable rain since, I think, August 17th. And um, so the drought continues on, and, you know, this isn't a big storm, but, you know, getting any type of shower is news around here. So Yeah, we're, um, we're in the same boat. I mean, I think we had a good rainstorm middle of July. We had... You know, and I'm talking measurable. Like you said, you you get five hundredths. That does nothing. Um, so we had measurable rain. Yeah, exactly for for an hour. Um, yeah, we had measurable rain in July. We had measurable rain, I think, in September, a decent one. And then we haven't had squat really since. And I mean, it's it's just brutal right now. And and it will be interesting to see how this winter goes. Because I think there's going to be a lot of places hurting uh, coming into 2021, um, and we can maybe talk about that in another podcast about your your predictions for Arizona antler um, quality coming up. But um, I'm I'm kind of I'm skeptical on on how good of a uh, antler growth season we're going to have across the board because just even in Areas that had native vegetation, where you know, like you guys are relying on heavy native vegetation, there just wasn't any. You know, there just we right. didn't we didn't have forage growth. Um, and for us out here, it really changed what people were going to plant this fall. There was a lot of people that wanted to try to get some winter wheat in the ground, and there's just no. I've got 20 acres of food plots that I didn't put in this fall simply because there was no moisture. I would have put the seed in the ground, and it would just laid there. And done nothing until maybe if we got moisture next spring, which still, I mean, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have helped the crop any. But um, there's a lot of guys out here now sweating bullets on whether or not if we don't have a significant turnaround in the moisture cycle, there may not be enough moisture in the ground come spring to even plant the summer crops effectively because there's there's just nothing to pull from, and so. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Um, is Mexico still in that same cycle as well? Are you guys headed into a coos deer season with uh, drought conditions down there? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think Chihuahua's very better than Sonora. Um, but, you know, the coos deer are not as negatively affected uh, as, say, mule deer or elk. Um, it's, it's amazing to watch, even in drought, the coos deer as far as the antler growth, they, they don't seem to fluctuate a whole lot um, like an elk or a mule deer will uh, in the same conditions. And, you know, I know that last school turkey season on a bunch of my ranches, it was actually it was a, a really good tint of green, um, more so and even recognizable uh, than, than normal. So I'm hoping that, you know, my, I've got some friends that run trail cameras um, down there in Mexico, and it looks like antler growth is definitely just average, um, you know, definitely not below average. Uh, so I think it's going to be pretty much a normal year. Um, you know, and Mexico is so arid as it is, uh, but hopefully this, this next storm and maybe 
dry year and, and you know the cattlemen are are um, I, I'm sure the cattle I'm sure guys need to expect a lot of the countryside to be eaten off uh, by cattle because of um, the lack of moisture so I mean I think going down with expectations of you know two foot two foot high grass everywhere is probably unreasonable um, but it's just one of those years yeah yeah no exactly exactly everybody out here is grazing and bailing up everything that they can because they just i mean there's more money either in cattle and or hell bail you know bail up your native grass bail up what you can because hell you can get a better price selling the bale than you than you can just leaving it so yeah no it, it there's a lot of of ground that has been um, heavily impacted by by cattle this year, and and it's not a, I'm not slamming the landowners. The landowners, I mean, obviously the landowners have got to do what they've got to do to pay the bills. I mean, it's been a brutal year this year from commodity prices and production and everything else. So I mean, when you have fixed costs of you know your mortgages and your loan payments and your insurances and and all that, and then you don't have income coming in. Jeez, oh Pete, you've you've got to try to diversify that revenue stream to the maximum ability just to stay afloat. So I'm I'm betting the guys down in Mexico are going to be doing the exact same thing. You know, they, there's just no choice behind it, or no choice other than to do it. But with um with your coos deer hunts, how has COVID? How are your bookings this year? Be sit with COVID, have they? gone down have they stayed the same have they gone up how, how are you looking with the number of hunters you've got this year so everything's the same um i did just have one hunter uh on one of my personal guided trips the first trip the 10th through the 18th um i don't really know if it's related to covid um he's got some uh, he's from the uh, northwest and um up in oregon washington country and uh, he contacted me about a week ago and said he wasn't going to be able to make it. His mother-in-law had passed away. Oh, okay. da, 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 da. You know, it, it's like, dang it, that, that's horrible, um, you know, personal family tragedies type stuff. But, um, you know, knock on wood, if you will, uh, we haven't had any uh, cancellations as far as due to COVID and, and you know, border crossings. Contrary to popular belief, uh, border crossings are still happening. Uh, there's actually no change. And um, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, most of the hunts go on here in January. Uh, so, you know, an, another month from now, uh, I'll probably know a lot more. But, uh, yeah, as of right now, everything's full steam ahead. There, there's not any less uh, bookings. Um, pretty much the same as last year. So it's, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of eager people ready to get out there and, and get hunting. Uh, I just hope all of the, uh, you know, all of the logistics part of it stays the same. That way we don't have any hurdles to jump over. But, you know, if we do, we will. And, um, you know, this will be my 25th season uh, this January, so it's pretty hard to believe uh, yeah. that it's been that long. But uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's crazy to yeah, time flies. But no, I was just curious about the COVID thing because, it, you know, at first we thought that it was going to shut a bunch of people down. But it, quite honestly, I've talked to a lot of people where it seems like more people were out in the field this year. Maybe it's because they had more time to go hunt or maybe, you know, they, they just 
they weren't working as much or they were kind of locked down. They couldn't go do the normal things that they normally were doing. So it just seems like we've had a lot more people out in the field hunting, which was kind of a, I, I guess I didn't anticipate that early on. I, I kind of thought it was going to shut things down, but man, from a hunting standpoint, it really doesn't seem like it did. <laughs> it seemed like it might've actually helped the number of people to, to just break away and, and get out there and enjoy it. But all right, man. Well, I, I, here's the deal. I wanted to chat with you because I knew you were getting ready. So I'm, and it was funny. We haven't even rehearsed. We didn't, I don't, you don't, I haven't even told you what we want to talk about other than, you know, the obvious that there's events going on, especially down in your neck of the woods, but you touched on it with coos deer and you running game cameras and, and checking things. My, I obviously, I just told you, I run game cameras out at our place. And quite honestly, I'm running cell cameras. Uh, because a lot of cell, now I, I run normal cameras. I've got a lot of Brownings and a couple, um, stealth cams and that type of stuff. But most of the time, if I can, I'm going to, I'm going to run a cell camera because it provides a dual purpose for me. I, most of the time will put my cell cameras in places that I can use them for security purposes to see, you know, if somebody wants to go trespass on one of our properties and push a river bottom, I'm going to sit it in places where, yeah, I'm going to nail you. It, in within 30 seconds, I'm going to know that somebody's on the property and I'm heading down the road or the game warden's heading down the road or the sheriff. But the cell cameras for me also from a deer management and just, you know, hunter management standpoint, um, it helps. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to make any qualms about it. I mean, it, it really does help to understand where your movement is, what's going on. Um, and so cell cameras have become something that I do utilize in some on some of my properties here in Kansas to help me run my hunts. The deer that we killed the other night with Bo is dead because I'm not going to apologize for it. It's the it's the reality. He showed up on a cell cam and that's why we knew he was there when he was there. If we did not have that cell camera or, or let me rephrase that. If we didn't even have a game camera, period, we it's in a place where we could have e- easily checked it, and we would have e- we would have gone in and checked it. I mean, there's no cell camera, n- notwithstanding. We had a game camera in there, and we would have been able to slip in uh, just based on the nature of the 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 property, the disturbance around it, and where we have our security camera. I would have gone in and, and checked the camera before the hunt, regardless. So. But the fact that a camera existed on that property picked up the fact that that deer suddenly showed up. Did change if 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 we had no camera there, we probably would have said, you know what, let's just not worry about the wind, or let's not get in the blind tonight. It may not be worth getting in there and blowing everything out because the wind isn't quite quote unquote perfect. So the game camera did play a part in our decision to climb into that blind when we did. And so, which brings me to the fun and exciting and, um, yeah, Arizona looks like uh, they are playing with the idea of shutting all cell, or, oh, not cell, all game camera use, cannot use game cameras for taking wildlife. What do you think? Well, I think it was about a year ago, maybe more, they outlawed the cell camera that you're talking about. But, you know, 87% of Arizona is is public land. You're talking about a lot of 
private lands in Kansas. Um, and then the latest is the commission voted five to zero to uh, make a it's not set in stone. They're taking public comment. I, I don't know specifics, but I think at the end of this month they're going to be doing some, you know, final decision. Uh, but they want to ban the use of trail cameras for the, I guess, the, the harvest or the aid of, you know, taking wildlife. Um, and it's caused a big uproar. Um, there's a lot of people for it, and there's a lot of people against it. Um, I'm one. Uh, I own a couple of trail cameras. I don't even know where they are. Uh, I don't use them in Arizona. I'm really only guiding for bighorn sheep in Arizona anymore. I don't do the elk because I'm over at the Ox 6 Ranch. You know, at the Ox 6, it's all private property. We have, I don't know exactly, but close to 200 cameras there, all on private land. And, you know, Hunter and I, you know, are checking those all the time, and it really helps in knowing how our animals, like you talked about, travel and move around, uh, helped us, you know, take inventory of, of all of the different animals, from bears to turkeys to lions to, you know, deer, elk, uh, animals. Uh, and then in Arizona, um, I, I have used trail cameras maybe one time uh, on a hunt. I had a friend of mine put up some cameras a couple of years ago on a bighorn sheep hunt uh, throughout the summer just to take inventory on rams at drinkers because in the summer it's so hot, that's a good time to catch with drinkers. So it's kind of an interesting thing for me, you know, someone that doesn't use cameras um, in Arizona, I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines, if you will, watching uh, this kind of go on. And, you know, there's very adamant people against them. There's very adamant people for them. And it's kind of you're either for them or you're against them. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of tough on one hand, I think, uh, you know, the game of fish that we've got other issues and things that should probably be, uh, you know, spent time on. And then on the other hand, I know that there has been some, you know, abuse or, you know, people problems, let's call them because of the trail cameras. And I think, you know, you get those situations where, I think you've got some problem areas. You've got the Arizona Strip, and you've got Unit 9, Unit 10. And, um, you know, it, a lot of it, Chris, in my mind, revolves around where the, the uh, Arizona Game and Fish drinkers, the man-made drinkers are, where they've got what we call the trick tanks that the Game and Fish has actually created. And it seems like a lot of the problems are related to those trick tanks, whether it be on the Strip or in Arizona, you know, Elk Unit 9. So, um... You know, on the other hand, uh, trail cameras, uh, I think when you're talking about the strip, I think there's deer. I think better deer have been harvested because of cameras, but I think the guides have played a role in better deer management. And, you know, one of the things I would say is because these guides and outfitters that run so many cameras, because they know the inventory so well, I believe that they've been able to hold their clients off of the trigger on some of these younger deer, uh, knowing that there are some bigger, more mature deer in the area. And I believe that they've harvested better bucks, yes, because of the cameras, but I believe probably the deer herd is in a better place because of that. So, I mean, I see the 
and negatives of is potentially, you know, you're hunting a basin and there's, you know, several drinkers in the area and, and guys are going in at all times of the hours to go check those cameras. And I mean, I've been up to the Arizona Strip and seen those trees, seen the posts, seen, you know, where there's literally, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15 cameras on one drinker. So the problems that it creates are a situation where, you know, 10 or 12 different outfitters know about a certain gear. Well, guess what happens when the season comes? But, you know, those outfitters are all jammed in hunting right in that proximity of the area. And then, of course, bumping into each other. And, of course, they're big, giant gear. So, you know, emotions are high and everybody wants their client or, you know, personally to kill the biggest deer. And so it creates problems and issues. And, and that's where it's at. Um, that's where we've gotten to where we are, in my opinion, is that the people, uh, the hunters, us, we can't seem to play fair with each other. And it, it's we've gotten to a point where, obviously, the commissioners feel like they had to do something to alleviate some of their complaints. Now, so on, on one hand, I would say, well, you know, are, are they just getting complaints so they just feel like they have to do something? Um, you know, has anybody, has there been bodily damage? Has there been, you know, fights? Has there been, you know, has it affected people's hunts? I think people could argue both sides of that. Um, but they've definitely come to a point where they feel like there's, you know, they have to do something and that's, they voted five to zero. Um, now they say they're taking public comment. Um, you know, there's been ideas kicked around about a potential season where you could run them from X date to X date and then all cameras have to be picked up after that. Um, you know, and then there's been the talk of, well, if, even if you outlaw, there's still some of those, um, guys out there, there's a thinking that they'll still run them. So then you've actually created, you know, the, the law abiding guys are going to get hurt because the non law abiding guys are going to run them anyway. So they'll have an advantage. I mean, it's just a big hornet's mess and a big mess. And I see both sides of the story. Um, personally, I, I, I hate to see the government step in and make any sort of, you know, ban or ruling on, on anything. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in our state that run cameras in um, off-the-wall areas, if you will. Let's say southern Arizona or central Arizona where they hike into a spring and, you know, they've had a camera there for, you know, 10 years and they've been monitoring, you know, bears and mule deer and coos and, you know, everything, bobcats, um, deer, elk, whatever. And they're not bothered anyone. And even more than that, they really enjoy checking the cameras. And, you know, they get their kids involved and it gets kids excited about the outdoors. And so, you know, personally, I think it's a shame to ban cameras statewide. Um, I think it's just a shame. I think if there becomes problem areas, potentially, you know, maybe looking at the ideas of a uh, season, you know, I think that's a better alternative than a than, a, than an outright ban. Um, you know, I think the, the game and fish and sorry to go on so long winded, Chris, but yeah, yeah, go. I think the game I, I think the game and fish, you know, they they feel like they have to do something, and you know, so whether that be a 
total ban, whether that be a unit by unit ban, whether it be a season. Um, you know, I don't know really what the right answer is. I really don't have a dog in the fight. I've actually been asked. I've been I've been sent messages from both sides trying to get me into the fray, if you will, and argue one side or the other. And yeah. You know, from someone that doesn't run cameras in Arizona on public land, it, it just, you know, I don't really have a dog in the fight. I see both sides of it. I've seen it from a guiding perspective. I've seen it from a hunting perspective. I've seen the positive and negatives of it. Um, and I would just say as a general rule um, regarding the ban, I'm really not for government stepping in and banning anything. Yeah. I don't think we're at a point where it's gotten so bad that it requires a ban. I think there's a way to potentially manage or and or make some stiff penalties for if there are problems, what are those problems? And okay, if you get involved with those problems, you can you know suffer some, some consequences. I think that's a better idea than, you know, spoiling some guy's joy of, you know, down in southern Arizona and he hikes in a half mile or a mile and to a spring or maybe he's running salt and you know no one else is around he's never got anybody else on his camera and now he can't run that camera it just seems like that's not a good solution well i tell you what yeah so let's take a bunch of things step by step because the reason why i did want to talk to you about this is precisely for what you said you are not someone that normally would well no not even normally when you were guiding elk in Arizona. I didn't run cameras at all. Correct. But yet you guys were consistently, and I say you guys when you were doing stuff with Dar, you guys were consistently into and performing and killing the cream of the crop of Unit 9. You would go, I mean, you loved to glass. You you love to hunt by sitting, you know, with your eyes. And then once you find a, a bull on glass, or if you've, if you've, come across a good bull then you go in there and you call them and you have a good calling hunt and you you run and gun and and just you guys grind it out and you guys always performed and you did not run game cameras so you have a perspective on being able to perform at a high level without the use of this technology however and that just comes down to time yeah you know, spending a ton of time and that's why we were successful as we spent tons and tons of time, not necessarily in the summer when they were in velvet, but, you know, from September 1 to October 1, 30 days straight, you know, never missing a morning or evening glassing. And over time, you know, you get to know where they are and, you know, that's how we did so well. And and, and then fast forward, now you are managing uh, for the OT6 and you guys run an extensive game camera survey out there if you will for monitoring and, and, and inventorying and everything so you do in my opinion have a very valid and, and credible uh perspective on this topic because you've been on you've you've been highly successful and performed well on both sides of this issue 
And I know the other flip side is I'm sure you're going to have numerous conversations over these next weeks and months. I mean, you have a very large network of outfitters that you guys, that you, the J. Scott Outdoors podcast usually has, you know, your your podcast episodes with those guys. I'm sure this is going to come up and, and you, you'll you be able to pull their opinions on it. Obviously, you know, we've got friends that run very large uh, cell camera operations in Unit 9 or 10 or other places, and, and I'm sure that is going to impact their operation. Um, but the reason why I wanted to talk with you about it, because you do have a good, credible uh, experience on both sides of this this issue. Now, here's a question for you, because I think it, I think you did a good job of, of just making an overview of, of what the problem was, and I know that we've talked about this, you and I have talked about this in the past. I know, <clears throat> I know that you've talked about it on your podcast in the past, but just for the folks listening here now, like Jay said, this is not necessarily an issue of someone has, there, there's a, there are a handful of people, there are, no, I can't say a handful. There are some people that just have an ideological aversion to using cell cameras, I say cell cameras, using game cameras, we'll get to cell cameras versus game cameras here in a minute. Using game cameras for hunting. There, there, just like there are people that have a problem with using lighted knocks. There are people who have a problem using a lighted uh, bow sight. There are people that don't want to use. You know, you don't want people to have uh, thermal imaging scopes or night vision scopes. I mean, there are there are people that have a different threshold of what they see as a fair game or fair chase uh, technology involved in a hunt. And there are some people that just think game cameras are too far, that, that that this takes it too far. That really, I don't think, is the issue here in Arizona. The issue is, like Jay said, there are some of these high premium units that, uh, you, you know, it takes 20 years to draw the tag and you could end up killing a 400 plus inch bull or a 200 to 250 inch mule deer. So where it, these are highly coveted, highly restrictive hunts to where everybody wants to to get the best of the best that they can. And it becomes combat, you know, if it's bow season, especially it's combat bow hunting. I mean, you have 15 cameras at one water hole and there are, I'm not going to make any, I'm not going to apologize for saying this because this is the truth. You will have certain outfits and I'm not saying an outfitter because you can have a guy that just draws a tag and then he brings 20 of his buddies up to help him. But there are groups that, you know, somebody draws a tag and they will saturate an area with a game camera. They start checking the game cameras. They know that there's a good bull in there. And I've literally seen it where you will have the hunter is over in one area hunting, but the quote unquote helpers are going from water hole to water hole to water hole during prime time claiming, oh, we got to check game camera. Oh, we got to check the camera. We got to check the camera. The, the hell you do. You're out there, you're, you're checking a camera and you have a plausible reason for being there, but you're disturbing the whole area, trying to just basically, hopefully the, the elk or that mule deer doesn't show up at the water hole that my hunter isn't at. And it it becomes this nightmare of activity in and around these critical water hole sources to where it becomes a nightmare. And I mean, Arizona Game and Fish has for years had a law that says you cannot camp within a quarter mile of a water source. Why? Because they did not want the disturbance of that campsite to preclude animals from wanting to come into that water source and utilize it. Well, if you've got 
15 different people checking game cameras at all hours of the day and quite honestly at night on every single waterhole, how is that any different? There are some people that would argue, how is that any different than camping there, right? So it has become a significant conflict and I think Arizona Fishing Game is trying to mitigate that conflict. Now, my question to you, Jay, is this. You are right. It, this was about a year or a year and a half, two years ago that they they, they kind of came up with this, you know, the, the idea that they were going to do something. Has the Wildlife Commission down there changed? Are we dealing with a different group of individuals to where we have a different mindset on the commission? Or are these the same individuals from before that are just now going, okay, enough is enough? I think there's actually a couple of new commissioners. I'm not 100%. I don't keep up on it a, a whole lot. Um, but I believe there are a couple of new commissioners. Um, I, I just think that there has been enough um, problems, quote-unquote problems, I guess, that, you know, where people have been jamming on each other and, and you know, creating an, an experience that is not... Um, what you would say is a good ex- hunting experience. So I think they've, they've had enough of those complaints uh, that they have decided to do something. My my own personal belief would be I would hope that there's not someone on the commission that just doesn't like trail cameras and that just has a you know bone to pick, so to speak, with a trail camera and or people that run trail cameras and lump from the from the way the ban is to me, the way I just feel about it, I feel like there's several people on the commission that they do not want to either A, deal with the problems, or B, they just don't like cell cameras and they think it's a fair chase issue. And I, I, I think that's too bad. I, I, well, I just, I think that's too bad because I think trail cameras, if used properly and if people could get along, and that's kind of the big thing, uh, are very valuable. And I think for game management, they're very valuable. Yeah. Um, let, and yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, I didn't want to, I did, I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I just didn't want to get off what you said there is, um, let's war game this here a little bit and, and talk about that proposal and possibly the commissioners and pot and, and what might, end up happening because I was heavily involved with public process and uh, sportsman's politics in Colorado for hell a decade. Um, like as in, I was at the state Capitol at least once, if not twice a week, um, for a long time, um, dealing with this. So there's a couple things. So the proposal, like you said, is the way it's written, it's like, it's done, it's over. We're just going to, it just, you cannot use a game camera uh, for the aid of taking wildlife. Now, the thing is, is it the way it's written right now, like you said, it's so vague on, okay, what does that mean? So if I, if I put a game camera out in March and I see a big bull on a trick tank and then I pull my game camera April 1st, but I come back to that trick tank in September and I kill something, did, did, did that game camera aid in my, uh, killing of that animal or or can now we 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 if you are a hunter you're not allowed to run a game camera at all because you bought a hunting license and you're going to hunt in the unit that you had a game camera but whereas if I'm just a wildlife watcher I can put a game camera up so 
ice. Right, and that's the hard part. It's, it's, well, that's the hard the, part is that there's enough people out there that just run cams for the fun of it. Yes. And just enjoy watching it. How do you determine whether that's a legal cam or not a legal cam? And that's what a lot of the people that are arguing that it's, you know, an all-out ban isn't going to do anything because the people are going to find a way around it. For instance, um, you know, what if I, if someone, I was reading a couple of forums just looking at, you know, what people were saying, and I was like, what if I just start a company that goes around the state and literally has, you know, a couple thousand cameras in all these different units and runs cameras year-round, and I sell a subscription to people, and if they want to see what's on my camera, they get, you know, they get to see the pictures that are on the camera. Well, is that guy aiding you in the harvesting of wildlife? You know, I don't think you could argue he is. He's not even a hunter. You know, so I don't know, and, you know, that's where I think... That's where I think, you know, if better than an all-out band, um, I, I think would be a season. But then I do see on, you know, seasons are going to be hard to um, enforce, whereas an all-out band might be easier to enforce. Um, but still, I think just letting, letting people run cameras and leaving it be and maybe trying to mitigate the problems that the cameras create more than the cameras themselves might be the answer. But I'm really glad that I'm not ha- happy to make the decision. Um, really glad I'm not on the commission, and they have a tough, tough job in front of them because I think it's pretty fifty-fifty. There's people that hate it. There's people that love it. So, well, I, the way I see this, and I've I've been I've been involved with this type of stuff before. Yes, could could we have? Could you guys have some commissioners that are like, you know what, screw a bunch of this. I don't. We don't care. It, it just we just need to make it illegal and be done. Quite honestly, yes, I, I've been involved with issues uh, like this in the past, and I've seen that absolutely happen, where they've already made up their mind. The public comment period is literally nothing but a dog and pony show, just to satisfy the requirements of the state constitution and the and the administrative process in the state because they are a public agency and they do need to take input from the public. Uh, but there is nothing in there that says they have to listen to the public. They have to solicit from the public. But you know what? We made the decision already. Thank you guys and gals all for your, uh, your input. Thank you for attending this meeting. This is absolutely pointless because we're going to give you the information from this meeting and we're not going to listen to anything that you had to say anyway. We'll just give you a chance to vent and then we'll just do what the hell we're going to do that we were originally going to do regardless because we've already made up our mind. That absolutely does happen. And I know that there are people that are concerned about that. Now, with that being said, though, I look at how it's written, and I've also experienced this, wherein an agency's like, you know what, this is, screw a bunch of this, we've, we've got to do something. And so they put out the most restrictive, broad-sweeping, egregious proposal, knowing the public's going to, there's going to be a, a segment of the public that, that goes up in an uproar. Well, then they have the public meetings and, and then the agency comes to the to table and says, well, I tell you what, let's compromise and we'll come up with a season. 
knowing full well that that's what they wanted to begin with. You, it's almost like negotiating, a, a, you know, if you want to sell something and, you, and you're trying to negotiate the best price. You, you put a ridiculous price on it, knowing full well that, let's say, arbitrary numbers. You want to sell a car and the car is literally worth $20,000. But you, you, you send it through a detail shop, you make it look really nice, maybe you throw a new set of tires on it or whatever, and you put a price tag of $30,000 on that car. You know darn well that the car's not worth 30, it's only worth 20. But you put 30 on it because then someone comes, looks at it and goes, man, this is really nice, but I don't think it's worth 30. Man, I'll give you 20 for it. You're like, mm, oh, nah. okay, boy, you drive a hard bargain. I'll, I'll take 20. Yeah, no, you know damn well that you wanted 20 to begin with, but you put a higher price on it just so that someone comes in, thinks they negotiated you down and you get the price that you wanted. The same thing has happened. I've seen this in public policy decisions where they come out with a really blanket, egregious policy like this. Everyone loses their minds. There's battle going back and forth on both sides of the of the coin. And so the quote-unquote reasonable people step in and say, okay, okay, okay. How about we just compromise and we do, okay, you can't have the, the game camera up and running. You, all, you, know, you cannot have a, a camera running, you know, two weeks prior to the season, or maybe they treat it like aerial surveys. You can't fly, you know, 24, 48 hours, whatever, you know, however they want to do it before the season. Maybe they come up with some language that is a quote-unquote compromise, knowing full well that that's where they wanted to be to begin with. Because if they just came out and said, okay, we're going to have a game camera season, well, everybody's going to still, you know, blow up the, the, the public comments and that compromise would some be eroded somewhere less than that uh, restriction that they were seeking to begin with. So looking at this language, I just don't see how it's enforceable and I don't see how it would be considered um, fair and equitable across the population of the state um, because it, you're, 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 you're saying you can't use it in aid in hunting, but goodness gracious, that that there's so much gray in gray area in there, like you said, Jay. The the people that read it and hear that and are quote unquote, you know, the the letter of the law, law abiding citizen. Okay, they're not going to run a game camera, but then you're absolutely going to have those folks that are saying, okay, well, hold on a minute. They said I can't use it to take wildlife. Well, that's fine. I'm going to run it all summer. I'm going to run it July. I'm going to run it August, and then oh, okay, so I I won't run it. Uh, the week before season, but now I have all the inventory data. I know exactly where the animals are. I'm not using it on a daily basis, but I used it to get a game plan. Well, how is, where's the gray area? I don't, I just, I can't see this language moving forward, written into law. And if it does get written into law, not be immediately challenged. My guess is, my guess is, is this is going to end up coming down into a compromised uh, arrangement where there ends up being a season or there ends up being a restriction on when it can be, or, or when game cameras can be deployed during hunting seasons or something like that. I, I, I just, 
I just don't know if if this language, the way it's written, makes sense from an enforcement standpoint. Um, so I guess I just I guess we're just gonna have to see. Have they made a statement on when they're gonna finalize this? Is it a three step process? Are they gonna have to do like three different months of of discussions, or is this gonna be more fast track? Do you know? I don't know. I'm sure you can go on the Arizona Game and Fish website yeah. and and find out. Um, I did get contacted by a, a Arizona Game and Fish um, representative that did want to potentially come on my podcast and kind of give some overall information and maybe set some of the misinformation straight. And um, yeah, I, I said I'm not opposed to that. Um, yeah, you know the, the it, there's so much heated. You know, everyone's so passionate about it. For me, not really having a dog in the fight, it's it's just one of those things that there's it's a no win for me, whichever direction, whichever side I take. And if I don't have a dog in the fight, why am I taking sides? Kind of mentality. Um, I I hear and know both sides, um, but it's not like you know. I'm adamant against using them. It's not, I'm adamant, you know, to, to, to be able to use them. Um, I just know there's a few problem areas, and I think, like a lot of things, some of the few problem areas are causing a ruckus for the whole. And I think that part of it is the part that bothers me. I think, you know, mitigate the problem areas and let the other areas roll until there becomes lots and lots of issues. The Arizona Strip and Unit 9 are basically the hotbeds of this, and the rest of the state is going to suffer if they ban all trail camps. Yeah. And and quite honestly, I really do, and it's, again, obviously, obviously I use them. Um, but I well, like... I use them too in, you know, Colorado. We use the heck out of them at the Op 6, and um, we use them from a game management standpoint. Correct. Standpoint, we use them just like you said of, of watching the property and making sure that no one's you know we have cameras all over that basically are just perimeter cameras that will tell us if there's people crossing the fence and we have full-time staff there of uh, security uh, full-time so you know cameras for a private landowner can be absolutely advantageous if you don't use them in my opinion wherever you are on private land you're 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 making a mistake well and and quite honestly i don't a lot of times though some of this conflict now let let me rephrase that i'm not talking about the conflict of users in unit nine camera users having conflict with other camera users and conflicts with with other hunters that's not the conflict i'm talking about the conflict here is there are some people that think game cameras are an unfair advantage. Um, okay. Well, well, let, let me let me say one thing to that, and I'll kind of put my devil's advocate hat on. Good. So wherever I use a, a game camera, if I were to use a game camera and have them spread out all over, and if I were able to get it, I'd say I, because I'm playing the devil's advocate, if I were able to get a picture of an animal, so a certain buck or ram or bull or, or whatever that animal's dead if i have enough time and if he stays remotely in the general same area whether it be private land public land if he stays in an area where i can hunt with enough time he's dead 
that particular animal, and that's why people use them a lot of times. They are looking for the exceptional animal. Not all the time, but in this, in, you know, I've never been to your place in Kansas, but hearing your story talking about this big buck in Kansas, well, if it was all public ground, and, and I got a picture of that buck, and I had enough time, and the season was open, that buck's dead. Unless he, unless he completely leaves and leaves the area. Now, in Arizona, where you can glass, he's even especially more dead if you have enough time. If you have enough season dates and you have enough time to look for him, and that's where the cameras, you know, it's, it, here's the thing. Is it against fair chase? You only can kill one animal as it is. So if I have a tag and I put out a trail cam and I'm looking for one specific special animal, my argument would be, and I'm playing the devil's advocate, my argument would be, what does it matter whether I kill that one big giant non-typical or just kill a buck? A buck is a buck. I can only kill one. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that cameras do is it gives me the advantage that used I used to have the advantage when I was glassing because I spent so much time glassing that I saw the animal with my eye, and once I saw him, there's a good chance that animal's dead. Well, with a game camera, you can cover the country 24-7 at night, and if he waters at one trick tank or one dirt tank one time, I can then focus my efforts on that animal in that area, and the likelihood of him being dead is, is very, very, very high. Well, then, okay, let me, let me, let me, play your let me play devil's advocate to your devil's advocate because i i can hear people screaming in their phones right now there are going to be some that say well okay well that's that's an unfair unfair advantage it's not fair because some of us can't afford a bunch of game cameras some of us can't afford to have that technology in play so have some people that have money they get to go out and and put game cameras on the landscape have an unfair advantage over those people that don't have the ability to do that, and so it's it's unfair. My so my argument to that is game cameras don't cost that much, and to play the card of someone has more money and they can buy more cameras doesn't hold any water with me. Everybody has wakes up in the morning and has the same opportunity as the next guy in it. You know, buying 10 or buying 100 shell cameras is a priority. They can cut back on their Starbucks coffee, their Circle K, you know, 7-Eleven, you know, beef jerky, and, you know, piddly diddly stuff that they spend all year. So if it's a priority, money shouldn't have anything to do with it. I know people that have 100 shell cameras that have no money, and I know people that have three shell cameras that have more money than God. So... I don't buy that argument one bit. That's me playing the devil's advocate to your devil's advocate to my devil's advocate. All right, then then let me let me flip it and do another devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> Be, because what you said also could be argued. This very well could a game camera could be seen as carrying a firearm. It's the great equalizer. It, it, if a criminal is going to go attack someone, they're they're going to attack someone who is is unsuspecting and vulnerable. And so, if you're a, a younger 
person, you're a smaller woman, or if you are an elderly individual, you if you don't have the physical strength and you don't have the ability, you can become a very easy target for someone who wants to mug you, uh, rape you, whatever. Unless, of course, you're carrying a handgun. All of a sudden, doesn't matter my age, doesn't matter how big I am, doesn't matter how strong I am. I've got something to equalize this playing field right now. A game camera, because you, what you said there is if you, Jay, Scott, with the skills that you have sitting behind glass and the time that you have to sit behind glass, there are some people that go, oh yeah, I've got uh, the way my my job is structured or, or my personal wealth is structured or whatever, I or, or COVID has shut me down. I have I've got plenty of time to go sit on the landscape and just sit there and watch, watch, watch day in, day out, all day long for weeks on end and I can figure out where these animals are and go after them versus there are some people, they don't have that time. They're hardworking. They're, they're, they're working. Well, heck, my wife now, she's working for the Federal Small Business Administration. It As, a, as an attorney, she's it's a mandatory six days a week, minimum 10-hour days for a federal job. So she doesn't have time to go diddle around, do anything. But yet if she had a camera, she could conceive, if she had a bunch of game cameras on the landscape, she could conceivably cover the same amount of ground you can in the same time frame and have the same level of information. So it becomes an equalizer on, there's no there's no difference. I, I would definitely agree with you on the fact that it becomes an equalizer. If you're covering all of the water pools in your unit, you know, pretty much all of the water sources over a long enough period of time, you're going to get an inventory of what's there. Yes. And once you, once you get an inventory of what's there, it just becomes, do you have enough time to be able to take that information that you gain, uh, and, and, you know, make it equal a, a, a harvest of that animal. It's no different than if someone had 30 days prior to the season, glassing morning and night, if you were able to take all of that same knowledge that they had, could that help you in your hunt? The answer is absolutely yes. If you run game cameras 30 days prior to your hunt, can you take that data and potentially help yourself? Absolutely yes. Um, now, with that being said, I know there's a lot of people that send me game cameras of animals all day long, this big tooth deer, or this big mule deer, or this big whatever, and they can't kill them. Correct. So, so there is, you know, it's not like you get a picture on a game camera and the animal's just dead. If you have a certain skill set and if you have the amount of time to be able to put that skill set to work, there's no doubt in my mind that game cameras give an advantage. Okay. Because the more the more the more inventory that you can gather and the more timing of inventory when that animal was at a certain time, because we know these animals move around. If you know that that buck you've been wanting to kill from the year before is spending all of his time in a certain pasture, and then all of a sudden, three days before, he shows up on another camera, you know he's moved. Half the time, you're looking in the wrong area. The, the benefit of a trail camera sometimes is timing. He came the night before, so I know he's got to be close. Or he's been over here, and now he's moved over here. And we've been spending all of our resources looking a mile over here when he's moved. Now we know he's moved, so boom, let's you know, flood the area and we'll find him if there he is. Here but here's here's the thing. Here's what you said there that I will I will I will provide a caveat to, a qualification. 
Yes, it can provide an advantage. My statement is, if you are the only one with that information, if everybody else has the same information, everybody else is going to do the same thing. And the reason why I think a lot of these people don't kill the animals they have on uh, game cameras is because there's so many people descending on the same area, they all keep screwing each other up. Quite honestly... And that's what's created the problems. Cr- that, it, that exact, that's exactly that and checking the camera at all times of the day. And if there's 12 cameras, that means 12 people. You know, you've seen it in Unit 9 where literally it's like a procession of people in yes. and out, in and out, in and out. So what happens? Those animals stopped using that water source or they only use it at night because they've learned that Yep. They're not going there during the day because at every given hour of daylight hours, there's someone buzzing in a water in a truck to check that, that tank. Yep. Where you, you know, all summer long, that, they've been getting pictures snapped like crazy because no one's there bothering them. But then right before hunting season and all during the hunting season, guys are just checking camps, checking camps, checking camps, checking camps. And why? Because they're trying to get, they already have the inventory, but they're trying to find that special animal that, that, that they want to kill. Where is he right now? And that does give, that does give a hunter an advantage. Well, and this is, it, yeah. It, it, no different than if you were driving down the road and he ran through their, your headlights of your truck. That gave you an advantage. It yes. was a circumstance that happened, but you now know exactly where that buck, buck or bull is, and it was three in the morning, and you're like, okay, I can get right on his track, and I at least know right where to start. Yep. Now, here's here's the thing. This is why I think a lot of people that are that are arguing against this, this whole scenario, again, I, many people, and I've seen this with a lighted knock issue, I've seen this with the crossbow issues, Many people that have this visceral aversion to technology or something, it really seems like the vast majority of people that are arguing against it have zero experience using it. They don't. They have. They have no clue what the realities around a certain thing are, and so they're missing the boat. Quite honestly, if I was arguing this in Arizona. Now, first and foremost, I would love to find out who who that that buddy of yours was was talking about because I thought of the same thing with my subscription based model. You put a you put a game two cellular cameras on every waterhole, two different angles. So you know, so one camera is facing the other one, so no one can steal them. You, you can even have errors. You can't do cell. Well, hold on, hold on, hold 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 on, okay. hold on, hold on. Okay. Arizona Fish and Game could do this and use this as a money maker. Well, and I talked about, I've talked about that before where, you know, the game and fish could run trail cams on every one of their drinkers. And if you want to know what's on that drinker, you can subscribe. To Correct. I was, I, a lot of money. I thought, I, I thought of running that business model years ago. Yes. Yes. But, I, I think they would pay, you know, $500 a year. Correct. Uh, and that seems like a lot, but you know, if you if you've got, but then you've got well, the game and fish is saying, well, how do we keep batteries and how do we do this and how do we do that? Da, da, da. But you know, if you were looking at it from a business perspective, from the game and fish, I think they could charge a bunch of money 
Correct. Did everybody have access to the same photos, whether that be sheep drinkers. Correct. You know, mule, mule beer drinkers, elk drinkers, whatever it may be. Correct. You, you, you sign up for a subscription. I guarantee you the amount of money that, they, that that would generate would pay for, uh, um, you know, college kids, interns to be able to go change batteries and, you know, do different things to keep those running. Most, I mean, most like a business. Yeah, most of the cameras nowadays, you can have a solar charger on the dang thing and, and just put up a solar panel and just run it. And quite honestly, and people are like, oh, there's no way in hell that, you know, we're going to we'll pay that. Bull how much are you paying for batteries right now? Right. I mean, just... It, it would it, actually be cheaper for someone to do a subscription model, even if it was $1,000 a year than what they're paying now. Correct. And by it, the time you, you measure the amount of fuel and, um, you know, batteries and yes. time... Yes, yes. It's way cheaper, but you know, yeah. I mean, and this is why this and, is why uh, this is why I argue. I would. I think if the game and fish wanted to shut down some of this ridiculousness, okay, fine. If you want to put you want to put a regulation, I think the option. I think this option, what we're talking about, is is the best option. The next best option, fine. You're only allowed to run a cell camera. If you're going to put a cell camera on a water source, you're only allowed to use a cellular camera. Why? Because now you don't need to go in there and disturb the tank and disturb the area to, quote-unquote, check your camera. The, 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 well, the problem with that is that there's, in Arizona, there's, in those areas, not a lot of good cell service. Oh, well. So, okay, so, well, then you don't, okay, so then the camera doesn't work there. I, I mean, again, I'm 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 playing devil's advocate. Right? There's no way you could you could uh, enforce that. Right. But the issue is, is a cellular camera, and you know, some people are saying, well, you know, they they don't want you know live. Okay, see, this is the other thing too that I argue all the time. The law says live action camera. Okay, well, a cell camera is not a live action camera. A live action camera is what they run in Texas, where it's literally live streaming. And you can right. sit there and watch that deer at a drinker or that deer at a feeder, and you can be watching it on your phone as you stalk in, and every time it picks his head up, you can stop. Now, there might be a couple-second delay there, but a live-action camera is one watching live action. A cellular right. camera is no different than a regular camera. All it does is it snaps a picture, and then within some se- some framework of a delay, it will send you a picture. Now, some of my cameras... I, I can set it to where it sends it instantaneously. And so within 30 seconds, if I've got good cell receptions, I'll have a picture. Some people are like, oh, well, that's live action. Eh, not really. 30 seconds can sometimes be a long time, especially if I'm camped 10 miles from that drinker. Okay, so I know a bull is there now. Well, I'm not. It's going to take me 30 minutes to get over there. I I don't know where that animal is now, but... Okay, argument made that I knew at an instant that that animal was there. Well, the other thing is, is other there are other camera systems where that's not the case. It takes a minute, five minutes. Sometimes you have cameras that you can set where it says only sends a picture every hour or a batch of pictures every hour, a batch of pictures every 12 hours. So just because it has a cellular antenna on it does not mean, and, and based on the, like you said, self-service, Sometimes it will take an hour or more for that picture to come through because the cell reception is crappy. So again, people talk about cellular cameras as being this this panacea. No, no. 
And quite honestly, I could see them, and you touched on it from a management standpoint, of just allowing people to know running a game camera uh, is allows people to know what the inventory is to where some people, if they choose to, can be more selective on uh, where they want to go and, and what animals that they want to use or, or, or harvest. Well, that means if you are not that individual, well, then those people aren't competing with you because they're going after one animal and you can go after all the other animals that they want. So some right. people, I, I don't, I, ah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I would encourage anyone listening to the podcast, you know, an Arizona resident, uh, if they have comments, uh, there are places you can go on the Game of Fish website. You can actually uh, email each commissioner directly. Uh, I, I know also they're going to have a public forum uh, where you can get up and talk in the microphone. I recommend making good non-emotional arguments, make good valid arguments. Either way, whether you're pro or uh, you know whether you're for or against it, um, try and keep emotion out of it. Try and speak back. Try and make a good logical case. And you know that's your right to do, and they're inviting that. So I would encourage you to you know make a good solid case for the commissioner. Either way, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for sure. Yeah, I know. I know that you have to get going here, brother. So I appreciate the time. Um, I might just wrap up a couple other little thoughts, but I, I will, uh, I, Hey, I, I know you've got to go brother. I know you got to go. So I'll, I'll cut you loose if you want. Yeah. Obviously most everybody that's great. Um, being on with you and congrats on that big year. We have so much other things to talk about. So I look forward to it on future Sounds good. All right, brother. I'll, I'll share your information with everybody when we, when we cut off here, but, uh, be safe and we'll talk soon, man. All right, I'm going to just wrap up a couple things that he, that he touched on, and I think it's important. Um, one, yes, by all means, I don't know. Uh, what I said earlier is absolutely true. Um, my experience in the public arena, on public policy arena, and, and arguing f- topics, ideas, positions in front of game commissions, in front of uh, legislators, what Jay said, number one, number one, I have a feeling this has been written in this manner uh, to achieve a level of quote unquote compromise that the fishing game already want. My, my guess is when it all shakes out, I'm guessing we're going to see something along the lines of um, a season or a restriction on, you know, Two weeks in, you know, before season, the game cameras have to be pulled off, or or you're not allowed to run uh, cameras, you know, in the month of September or October or what. It, it's going to be. I, I have to believe there's going to be some level of compromise on the language because I just don't see how this is going to be enforceable. So to that end, what Jay said there when he was wrapping up is absolutely crucial. Um, you need if you want to provide public comment. You need to provide some rational, non-emotional, logical, reasonable arguments. Do not get out there and just start flailing away on emotional, make this emotional diatribe. 
Do not make your public comment if it's going to be, you know, most of them are going to be in written form. Do not make them a six-page uh, essay. It, they're not, no one's going to read that. You need to be able to articulate your position within literally a paragraph, maybe two, because they're going to get flooded by these comments and they're not going to read. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The reality is they're probably not going to read a lot of them. If you can get your argument articulated down into a paragraph, maybe two, you're going to have a much better chance of your opinion being heard. Okay? Number one. Number two. The way it works in public comments. Numbers matter. And I don't mean numbers Okay, let me, let, me, let me take a step back. Let me articulate this a little bit better. You have sportsmen's organizations out there. Those organizations might have 10,000 members. If that organization is worth their salt, if they are worth their membership dues, and they have integrity behind what the hell they're doing, taking your money anyway, they should be polling you, the member, about certain topics before they take a stance on a topic. I cannot tell you the number of organizations I've either belonged to and no longer do, or that I actually went to intellectual battle with on the, the legislative floor or in front of commission meetings and, and whatnot. I was a member of an organization, and then I sit there in a public meeting and listen to this organization's representative get out there and say, our members, we have 10,000 members, and our membership believes this way, and we advocate for X, Y, and Z. And I'm sitting there looking across the room going, uh, the hell you do? I'm a member, and that's not the position I have. And no friends that I know are, have that position. And you've never once reached out to me. You've never once reached out to your membership to find out exactly what our thoughts and, and what our opinions were. How the hell are you coming to this, this public meeting giving this position of your organization and all 10,000 members when you didn't even ask your members? Okay, there are organizations that will do that. So if you are a member of an organization and you want them to carry your voice forward, which is the way. This is the way. That it, that's the way a lot of, quote-unquote, conservative-minded individuals are. They, they want a representative to do the work for them, carry the voice forward for them. That's why, that's how we have elections, that's why we have memberships, that's why we we delegate or or appoint or vote in representatives, blah, blah, blah. That's how it works, okay? That's fine. Just make sure if you are doing that, that that organization or that representative that is going to give, give your voice a voice at, at that meeting, you might want to make sure that they're going to carry the message that, that you want them to carry. Or at the very least, the organization is is testifying on behalf of 51% of the membership or maybe your organization, two-thirds of the, more, the, the membership all agrees in a certain way. However your charter, however that organization is set up and the bylaws of that organization is set up, make sure that that organization is actually carrying the message that that message is supposed to, or that, that, that they're supposed to be giving. There are a lot of organizations that are run by what I call a council of dictators. 
That's all it is. It's a council of dictators. They, they are this little board of, of executives, a board of, of, you know, whether they, it doesn't matter. It's the board, okay? And that board has a membership base and dues come into that membership and that board just does whatever the hell that board wants to do because that board never, ever engages their membership. And so essentially the board meets, the board makes a decision and they go forward into a public meeting and the board representative testifies without ever giving, getting input from their membership. Do not allow your organization to do that because you will get screwed. Okay. And then that's going to make you upset. And then it's going to cause all. So if you're an, or if you're a member of an organization and you want that organization to carry your voice, you get involved with the organization and make sure you know what that voice is going to be. Number two, let's just say your organization of 10,000 members is going to go to the commission meeting and they're going to testify on behalf of what all of you, maybe you have a 99% unan- or almost a unanimous position from all your members and that representative is going to go to that public meeting and they're going to testify. Good. And they can articulate that all of our members are on board with this position. Excellent. Guess what? Your representative goes in there and testifies. That is one testimony. That's not 10,000 testimonies. That, that It may represent 10,000 people in a technicality. But that is not how it gets taken in the stack of papers, in the stack of testimonies. That's not how it's processed. It is processed as there was one testimony by this organization. And then there was another testimony, one testimony from this other organization. Whereas, go ahead, have your organization show up because the bigger the membership of that organization, it does carry some weight. But again, that representative is only going to give one testimony. This is where, and I'm going to have a different conversation about this in some other political, um, let's just say some other political issues going on these days. The problem is, and I'm going, to, I'm going to dive into this deeper on a different episode. There's two types of people in this world. Those that wish to be left alone and those that refuse to. The other thing is the world is run by those who show up, period. We don't like to, we, we don't maybe like to think about that, but that's, that's the reality. The world is run by those who show up. The problem is, is the, the, the people that want to be left alone generally are of the more conservative value set mindset. I'm not saying you're a Republican. I'm not saying you're a conservative, quote unquote, but how your brain functions. Uh, Thomas Sowell talks about a constrained mindset versus an unconstrained mindset. Uh, do you Are you more process oriented? Are you a rules and regulations and process is, is, is the one thing that's holy? Or are you an ends justify the means type of person where I don't give a crap what the process is? I want, I want my outcome and damn it, I'll do whatever I have to do to get my outcome. If I have to lie to you, if I have to cheat, if I have to be dishonest, it doesn't matter. I want my outcome, okay? Oftentimes, those that wish to be left alone generally find themselves in more of that conservative mindset, that conservative framework of value sets. Those that refuse to are oftentimes those people that more that believe or run their their brain is more hardwired to lean towards the end justify the means type of scenarios. You, you want to take a guess on, again, the world is run by those who show up. 
You want to take a guess on uh, who usually shows up? All right. For those people that are in more in the conservative mindset, again, I'm not talking Republicans and Democrats. I'm not talking about conservatives versus liberals and leftists. Not. I'm just talking about how you you're, you develop your values, personal values. If you are the type of person that says, well, I would just rather someone else take my message forward. I would rather, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll just, I'll write an email maybe. Most of the time it's just nothing but vicious rhetoric and you don't ever do anything. Okay. I, I used to tell some of my conservative friends uh, when, again, when I was doing sportsman issues in Colorado, listen, if this is going to be a numbers game. And when that commission meeting kicks off, if the room is filled, 80%, let's just use this particular example right now. If you have 80% of the people that show up in that room, and I, and, and I will agree with Jay, I am not taking a side here. I am not taking a side. I can I can operate if I choose to continue to guide in Arizona. I can operate in any environment that they want to create. If 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 there's no game cameras used anymore, okay, fine. Normally when I go to Arizona, I show up with about 3 or 4 game cameras. Why? Because I will hunt in a particular area if I see a good track or I'm in an area where there's good bugles and it's, there seems to be like a really good sounding bull, I might go ahead and throw a game camera up on a couple of water holes or tanks or, or funnels or whatever in that area just to kind of get an idea of what animal I'm uh, I'm dealing with. And or I just, you know, okay, it, like last year, it was tough. We're going to have to sit water. Okay, there seems to be good activity here at this this trick tank or this, this uh, regular dirt tank. What am I dealing with? Are we dealing with just a raghorn 4x4? Which, okay, yes, you can see by size of tracks. But in some cases, I have clients that want a big bull versus I've got clients that don't care if if it's a big bull or they just want to have a good experience. Okay, what am I dealing with at this water hole? What time are they coming in? And when do we need to be here? You know, that that type of thing. So I don't run a gargantuan uh, game camera survey. So I can operate either way down in Arizona if I continue to guide down there. I don't care. So I really don't have a dog in this fight. In, in Kansas, I can do whatever I want to do because Kansas laws are what Kansas laws are and, and we're going to do what we're going to do out here. You can judge me later. But from an Arizona standpoint, if the if the room is full, it is 80% people that are vehemently opposed to game cameras and they they argue from a standpoint of fair chase and you know anti-hunters come in there and and the 80% of the room is we want this law this proposal passed as is no game cameras ever used for hunting period ever end of discussion and then you have the other 20% of the room happens to be a handful of conservation organizations with their one representative I can tell you right now where the vote is probably going to land by the commission if the room is 50-50 between those are that are adamantly opposed to this being passed versus those that don't want it passed and they, they want status quo or they want some compromised position well, then it's going to fall on the commission to make up their decision, and it's kind of like MMA. You never want it. You, you never want it to go to the judge's decision. Okay, so if you're going to go in there and it's just a fifty-fifty deal, well, then then the commission is probably going to do whatever the commission is already thought in their their brains. You, 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 they're not going to get swayed either way, probably. 
But if you believe that the vast majority of people in Arizona don't want to see this law passed, well then guess what, ladies and gentlemen, you better have 80 plus percent, two thirds of the room or more with people in the room that are going to testify. I don't care what side of the uh, the, the issue you are on. The world is run by those who show up. And I've always said that I don't need you to, when I was a representative, I don't need you to show up and jam your ideology down someone else's throat. But I damn well need you to show up and at least damn well defend yourself. You can't have one person go, well, they they represent 10,000 people. Okay, maybe they do, but that's only one testimony. You're, if you believe adamantly that this that game cameras need to be banned, well, guess what? Show up. If you believe that the game cameras should be let, let, allowed and, and we should have no restrictions on game cameras, guess what? Show up. Because the world is run by those who show up. And so if you feel adamant about this, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to get out there and you're going to lash out with vicious rhetoric on chat forums and social media and all these other places and do nothing and get steamrolled. Your ideology is going to get steamrolled because you did nothing. Or you budget your time. You figure out when those commission meetings are going to go on. You figure out if, if it's during the day, which this is the other thing that pisses me off on some of these. I don't know when this, this, these meetings are going to happen, but it was uncanny the number of times that we would watch a controversial issue be brought forth on the Colorado Game Commission discussion when that Game Commission was going to be in the extreme far southeast part of, of the state of Colorado, in the middle of like four hours from anyone or any stinking uh center of of populace or northwest corner or northeast corner it, it would it would be in some random middle of nowhere meeting because they would they and I don't know how Arizona sets theirs up but in Colorado they move the meetings around the state so everybody has by and everybody has a chance to show up at a meeting well guess what if you had a, a, a controversial discussion at a at a, a commission meeting in Denver you want to know how many people would show up at that meeting versus you had a, a controversial uh, discussion show up in Yuma, uh, Yuma County, not Yuma, Arizona, Yuma County, no one. And they would, I, I, I don't know this to be the fact, but come on. The number of controversial decisions that were made in con, in, in uh, commission meetings that were in the middle of nowhere was absolutely egregious. It was like, you know damn well that you sent you you scheduled that meeting to be out there because you didn't want a full a room full of commissioners or uh, people testifying in front of the commissioners. You know darn well you didn't want that. You've already made up your 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 mind. You know what you're yeah, no. Screw a bunch of that. So you guys and gals that are listening to this right now in Arizona that are passionate about this this topic. You're going to need to figure out where that commission meeting is. You're going to need to figure out what time it is. And you're going to, if you want your voice heard, you darn well need to show up. You can show up to advocate for it, or you can show up and at least defend your your position. I don't care. But the world is run by those who show up. So guess what? Show up. Take the time off from work if you need to. Arrange a babysitter if you need to. Take your kids. They don't care. You, you can have the kids in there. It, it, 
just show up. Just show up, all right? And then the other thing, too, that I heard, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap up with this. Um, I heard a lot of discussion regarding public versus private, public versus private, public versus private. Well, you, you know, if it's public land, that's one thing, but private, that's that's bullshit. Or excuse my language, sorry. That's baloney because, you know, it's private land, I can do what I want. Okay, yes, you can, ish. Wildlife is managed for the people of the state. Wildlife is not managed for a landowner, excuse me, per se. So just like you can't run thermal, you know, I can't go shoot an elk at night with a spotlight on private, but I can, you know, or yeah, I, I'm not allowed to shoot a, an elk at night with a spotlight on public, but I'm allowed to shoot an elk at night with a spotlight on private. Well, no, that, that doesn't fly. It, management of game, the harvest of game is state. It, it, it's statewide. It's a state. It, it's this, You can't make the argument. I, I really I really don't see this. I, I, don't, I really don't see this as a viable argument. I've, I've seen this a couple times now. Well, they, they shouldn't be able to, to regulate it on private ground. No, baloney. It's a, it's, a, it's a game animal that moves onto and off of private property. And the wildlife is managed for the interest of the state populace. It's no different than method of take. It's no dif- different on harvest restrictions. It's no different on season stri- public versus private in this regard. What they're arguing here, I, I don't think flies. I-, I-, I don't think that goes anywhere. And so if you are going to be the person that wants to go in there and try to make that argument, my guess is the state attorney is just going to absolutely dismiss that argument bleep, out the door or or the, the commissioners or whoever is going to provide, you know, the legal input because they're going to ask the legal input you know, from their attorneys or, or the regulatory uh, folks. It, it's not going to go anywhere. It, it's not going to go anywhere. What you need to make an argument is a logical argument of why either A, status quo is working or is, is just a, a, um, a sign of the times and, 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 you know, it is what it is, you know, just like electronic range finders, just like high powered rifle scopes now. And, uh, just like, you know, whatever, whatever you want to talk about technology advancement in our bows and our rifles, you know, if you want to make the argument that this is just simply a, 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 a progression of technology, well, then you need to be able to make a reasoned, rational argument that, that leaves no ambiguity of why this is a righteous position. Your, your position is a righteous position. And likewise, if, if you're the person that's on the other side that, that says, get rid of them all, okay, you, you need to be able to articulate your position in a way that is going to be defensible legally. You, you're going to have to argue how this affects recreational users versus the hunter. You're going to have to argue, you're going to have to make an argument on how it's enforceable you, because there is something in law that says it's it's void for vagueness if it's so vague that you can't you you can't navigate it without controversy well some courts will just end up throwing it out and so why would you pass a law that's immediately going to be challenged in court and thrown out it doesn't make sense so articulate your position clearly rationally succinctly and the more numbers of people that provide a comment in writing, the better it is than just having one organization do it. 
Likewise, the more individuals that show up at a meeting and stand up and have your two minutes or five minutes to testify, the better it is than to have just one organization go and represent you. Does that make sense? All right, I'll leave it there. I would, I'm would. i very interested to see or hear what your thoughts are on this. So by all means, um, I'm going to follow this kind of closely. If you have other comments and input on it, by all means, let me know or or chime in on some of the social media on my, you know, if, whether, uh, anyway, you guys all know me. If you're following me, you already know. You can follow me, find me anywhere on Row Hunting Resources, R-O-E Hunting Resources. And quite honestly, I have, I've, I, and this is going to be a different discussion for right now. I'm not going to dive into it, but I do have a parlor uh, account now. I do have a MeWe account now, and I do have a Rumble account now, and I am going to start moving more content to those other platforms. I, I under, Again, it's going to be a different conversation, but just understand that everywhere you look for me on whatever platform, it's going to be row hunting resources or row hunting Chris Rowe, it, they're all going to be consistent, okay? So ROE, hunting resources. And then by all means, I know for a fact, Jay, he had to go. Um, Jay will absolutely be having conversations with some other folks down in Arizona and other places, outfitters, and hopefully I, I'm looking forward to if he can get that uh, agency representative on to have that conversation. Uh, it, it'll be it'll be worthwhile to listen. So by all means, go over and listen to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Um, you can find him on social media as well under J Scott Outdoors, J Scott. Um, yeah, he, I'm guaranteeing he'll have some good content as well. And then I'm going to have him on again for a couple other topics that are very pertinent for this day and age. So everybody, all right, thanks much. I appreciate your time, uh, paying attention and, um, yeah, good luck everybody. I hope, uh, this, Let's hope that 2020 kind of winds down and it's ridiculousness. Let's just pray that 2020 does not, um, <laughs> people have talked about, oh, let's just, just get to 2021. Well, yeah, maybe. I'm just worried that 2020 is the infant of whatever 2021 is going to grow into. So I hope I'm wrong on that. So have some time uh, with your family. Obviously, I don't know where you fall down on this COVID crap. Yeah, yeah doesn't matter. Just be safe, be smart, stay healthy, but um, just be smart. Use your use your brain. Um, be healthy. Enjoy uh, this holiday season with everybody, and uh, spend time with your family. I don't care that you know people say, "Oh, don't don't go visit." You know what? You none of us are guaranteed a moment in this life, and if you stay away from family members simply because you're scared only to find out that they had a heart attack or they you know a car accident or whatever and, and now all of a sudden you don't ever get to see them again evaluate the priority on on how what 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 your value set is on you know which is more important do you want to spend some time with your family being smart of course do you want to spend some time with family and friends and actually enjoy their their time on the earth now in front of you or do you just want to continue to, to wait until somebody says that you can, you know, go and spend time with your family and you just pray to the dear Lord that they're there when <laughs> the powers of be allow you to go back to, to living normally if that ever happens. But regardless, um, thanks. I'll kill it for now and uh, stay tuned. We're going to have a couple more coming here over these next couple weeks. Thanks guys. <laughs>